It's Sundays like this where I really love the Old Testament. Uh, I, I really like the Ten Commandments. I don't know how you feel about the Ten Commandments, but I always kind of feel good about myself after I read them. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I'm, I'm doing pretty well on those ones. As, as far as I can remember, I've never worshipped any other gods. I'm, I'm certain I've never worshipped any idols. Okay, number three, I've broken a number of times. Um, I've tried to honor the Sabbath. I've gone to church like my whole life. Um, when I was a kid, I've told you before, I could spend the night at a friend's house, but my mom would always pick me up at 6 a.m. because we never missed church. Uh, honor your father and mother is one I've done better or worse on, but in general, I think I've tried to be a good son. I'm 100% certain I've never killed anyone. Uh, I'm 100% certain I've never cheated on my wife. And the only thing I've ever stolen, I've confessed this to you, to, to you before, was in second grade, I took some raisinette figures off my teacher's desk, and I feel really bad about it. Uh, I've never lied in court under oath. And, okay, well, that coveting one is a little bit hard, but in general, I don't think of myself as particularly covetous. So I'm doing like, if you, if you ignore the raisinettes, I'm at like an eight or nine out of ten. I'm doing pretty well, right? And then Jesus comes along, and He ruins all of my success. And, and, and we're in this season, we're thinking about um, these things we'd maybe rather Jesus have not had said, right? These places where Jesus moves us forward from comfortable to awakened. Uh, and every one of these little moments where, where Jesus pushes our boundaries, uh, we've picked not because it's just a weird random verse, but because it gets to a core theme of His ministry. So here we are in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is um, ruining my success by telling me that I don't care if you've never killed anyone. That standard is so low, it's ridiculous. I care if you've been angry at someone uh, in an inappropriate way. Okay, well, I just, I just failed that, that commandment. Um, I don't care if you've ever cheated on your wife. Uh, that, that's so um, easy to not do. Um, I, I care if you've ever looked at anyone that you weren't married to as an object instead of a person. Wow, these are getting harder and harder. Uh, by the way, um, it's not just that Jesus makes these commandments harder. I don't like anything He says in this passage. I don't like the idea that I'm not allowed to worship God until I um, am right with other people, right? Uh, that's cool, but I'd like to go to church anyway. Uh, I don't like the idea that I'm supposed to cut off my hand or remove my eye uh, if they lead me into sin. I really don't like that. Uh, and you can tell I haven't been, you know, taking that too seriously. Um, by the way, on that last point, I don't think that Jesus uh, literally expects us to maim ourselves um, because quite obviously, I, I'm not going to stop thinking of people as objects just because I cut my hand off. Uh, I think Jesus is saying, what in your life leads you to sin that needs to be removed, right? What, what price are you willing to pay um, to be mentally pure? Now, and, and I think that gets us to a really critical idea um, throughout the whole ministry of Jesus, and it's one that distinguishes Him from really His, his larger culture and the other religious leaders. What Christ wants most is to change um, the life that we live inside. Christ cares most about how we think and about why we act, and maybe less about what we do. 
And, and this is a huge idea, and it's, it's pretty radical. It's, it's not a common idea um, in, in Jesus' day. In fact, um, as we've discussed before, um, it's in fact maybe the opposite idea of the dominant theological or social structures um, of, of the Jewish culture. Um, but Jesus believes that God's goal is heart transformation, or, or maybe we call it mental transformation. In, in Matthew chapter 12, He says this, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." The good person brings good things out of a good treasure, and the evil person brings evil things out of an evil treasure. Jesus says throughout His ministry, I'm interested in the tree and not the fruit, right? Uh, everybody else gets to see the fruit of your life. Everybody else gets to see what you do on a daily basis. When, when difficult things come or when great blessings come, how do you respond? The world sees the fruit of your life, but God sees more than that, right? Scripture says God sees our heart. He sees the inside of the tree, and God cares about the inside of the tree from, from roots to branches, he cares about the treasure of your life that you bring out, whether it's a good or evil treasure. He cares about heart transformation. This is um, a, a huge idea, uh, and it is, as I mentioned, the opposite of the idea of the Pharisees. So, um, just as a quick reminder, um, at the time of Jesus, Israel is living under the Roman occupation. And this is not the first occupation the people of God have uh, been through. And the assumption of the religious leadership of Jesus' day is that the way to um, be free again, to be an independent people again, is to be righteous, right? That God is punishing us for our sins. So if we can all just follow the Torah, follow the law, then God will stop punishing us. And therefore, when you sin, you don't just hurt you, you hurt our, you hurt our whole nation, Right? And so my job as a Pharisee is to go out and say, how do I make sure that none of you are ever breaking any of the rules? Because there are enormous consequences for, God's, for breaking God's rules for all of us. Um, th this is the, the goal of the Pharisees. It's the goal of religion. And I use that term negatively to mean um, sort of humanly constructed ways to deal with God. And unfortunately, I think it's the goal of many Christians over time, and, and it's what we just call behavior management. It's behavior management. I got I to gotta decrease the bad behaviors and increase the good behaviors. Behavior management, by the way, isn't always bad. And we use the term a lot in education, right? We talk about classroom management and behavior management and how do you deal with uh, groups of kids and individual kids and give them the right incentives to make good choices. And sometimes this is really important. Uh, in, in our confirmation class earlier this morning, we were talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, there's a great Arnold Schwarzenegger movie um, about a police officer who goes into an elementary school undercover as a kindergarten teacher. It's called Kindergarten Cop. I'm not sure if you've seen this one, but uh, Schwarzenegger is, as you might imagine, a terrible teacher. Uh, and so the first few days he shows up on the job, he is completely overwhelmed, and the kids run amok. I mean, they're painting on the walls, and they're ripping up the notebooks and throwing it in the air as confetti. It's, it's hilarious. And he goes and tries to get some advice on behavior management, right, on, on classroom management. And the next day, he comes back with a new strategy, and I want to play that part for you. 
Today we are going to play a new fun game. It's called Police School. I'm going to be your sheriff. You're going to be my deputy trainees. Oh, come on, stop whining. Your kids are soft. You lack discipline. But I've got news for you. You are mine now. You belong to me. You're not gonna have your mommy's run behind you anymore and wipe your little douches. Oh no, it's time now to turn this mush into muscles. No more complaining, no more Mr. Kim left to go to the bathroom, nothing. There is no bathroom. <laughs> I've been on a lot of youth ministry trips over the year with kids in a bus or a van, uh, and that's been my favorite line. There is no bathroom. Uh, sometimes um, behavior management is good, right? Sometimes we, we need to be able to say, hey, we got to discourage or encourage certain behaviors, uh, whether that's in the classroom or whether that's in our own lives, whether that's in the workplace. Um, it can be a good thing, but please hear me, behavior management is not the gospel. Behavior management is not the gospel, right? It's not God's good desire for our lives. It's not what Jesus came to accomplish, and I think more often than we'd like to admit, sometimes we allow our faith and, and, and the God of heart transformation to degrade into behavior management. And there's a really easy test for this, right? As we think about our lives or ourselves as a church, the, the test for this is, you know, if you knew someone who was um, in a life of overwhelming crisis, Whatever that might be, um, sin and, and, and um, sorrow are reigning in their life, and, and, and you could change one thing, right? Would you change them, get them out of that crisis, put them in a pew, and have them believe nothing? Or would you have them have an encounter, a real encounter, with a person of Jesus Christ and possibly leave them in that crisis? Uh, this isn't just a hypothetical question. I think it's a really critical one for us, right? What's our, what's our goal um, in, in our Christian witness with others? What's our goal in our own Christian lives? Is it that outwardly we get it together, or is it that inwardly we are transformed? A number of years ago, uh, I, I was sitting with a family I, I loved very dearly in a different congregation, and we were talking about their child who was in the midst of a, a life-threatening heroin addiction. And in this particular moment, um, that, that young man had just sort of stormed out of the house while I was there with the parents. And uh, we all knew that odds were pretty good that either he would get arrested or he would get killed. Um, we didn't know which one. We were hoping for something else. We were expecting one of those two. And there's nothing quite as um, heartbreaking as sitting with a parent uh, in that moment and knowing that they have um, no expectation of a good future for their child. And I remember this mom uh, turning to me in the midst of her tears and my tears, and, and, and I remember she said to me, Jim, I'm so thankful um, that I know my son knows and loves Jesus. And if I had to pick between him not having this heroin addiction and not knowing Jesus or having Jesus and having heroin, 
I'd pick this every time. See, heart transformation is the goal. And at the end of the day, it doesn't profit a man um, to gain everything and lose his soul. It doesn't profit us uh, to turn our people into well-behaving persons. We aren't in the business of making sober people or chaste people or nonviolent people. We're in the business of making God's people. One author says, Jesus Christ did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. I love that. Jesus Christ did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. And so I think this is a critical question for us as the people of God. Um, Are we, again, in our lives, in the lives of our children, in the lives of our church, are we looking for behavior management or heart transformation? Uh, Jesus, again, in another place in the Gospel of Mark, has uh, the same conversation with His disciples. That There's a, a debate going on, again with the Pharisees, about external regulations, about the washing of hands, and about what food they're allowed to eat as clean or unclean food. And Jesus calls the crowd together and He says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the, ins- from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their hearts, but into their stomach and then out of the body. I think this is the only time in the Bible that Jesus talks about poop. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Again, Jesus is saying it's not what we do, but why we do it that matters. And that his interest is not that we stop murdering and committing adultery, but that we stop being angry and lusting, that that we have some kind of inside change. And I believe that if we are pursuing just behavior management, um, then we might not get that and we certainly won't get an inside transformation. But if we're pursuing heart change, then we might just get that with God's help. And we might just get everything else in God's timing. And the in God's timing part is really important. Because very often um, when we are engaged in the hard work of heart transformation in our own lives or as we're watching others go through it, it doesn't happen as fast as we want it to happen. We have all been there, right? We've all been there and, and said, boy, I have been praying about this thing and praying about this thing and it just won't go away. Or I've been praying for this person, and I know they know Jesus, but they can't seem to get their life together. It comes in God's timing and not in ours. I have a a good friend who's a pastor and uh, just an incredible preacher and a a wonderful woman of God, and I I admire her so much. She's been incredible as a leader in her church. 
And, and I, I know her from our, our local um, community. Uh, but, but she has one weird quirk. And a weird quirk is that she cusses like a sailor, right? Just all the time. And you got to understand that I live a sheltered life, okay? I mean, like, it's not that I've never cussed or anything. I, I'm, I'm a real person. But for the last significant part of my life, it's been lived mostly in the church, right? Like my friends are in the church, and I, go, I work at a church, and in the evenings I go to church meetings. And so when I get together with, like, church people, especially pastors, it's always a little shocking when somebody keeps dropping, you know, the S-bomb or the F-bomb or any kind of bomb, right? But I know my friend, um, and I know what God has changed in her life. I know that the progress she has made in terms of heart transformation dramatically exceeds the progress I have made in terms of heart transformation. I know how far God has brought her. And I know that in His timing, maybe He'll take care of the cussing thing. Um, But I can't look at her life and say um, that somehow her Christian witness is less because of that, right? Her Christian witness is, look what God has done for me. And it's incredible what God has done for her. And so I believe that we have to recognize, yes, absolutely, the behavior stuff will come with time. um, But when we make it our goal, we undermine the work of God, and it will be God's timing that brings that outside transformation. So I want to ask a question, not just about ourselves as individuals, but ourselves as a church. Uh, I wonder if we're a church that can embrace cussing parishioners. I wonder if we're a church that could embrace um, people who don't have the outside of their life together yet. Uh, I wonder if somebody came into our pew and um, was wearing clothes that seemed wildly inappropriate or uh, was talking about things they did this weekend that that aren't Christian-sanctioned things. If we could say, hey, you know what? I'm so glad you're here to talk about Jesus today. And before we deal with your addiction or before we deal with your anger issues or before we deal with your lust issues or before we deal with your language or any of that stuff, let's talk about Jesus, right? Because that's where the real change is going to happen, right? To me, that's what it means to be a church that's embracing all, right? And saying, hey, you don't have to have your life together before you come here. The church isn't a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners, right? That we are in the process of getting our lives together, together. I've been reading um, and praying through the Psalms this Lenten season using a, a little devotional I've used for many years called the Paraclete Psalter. And um, yesterday, <clears throat> I read Psalm 141. Uh, where the author talks about um, the, the, the heart change he wants to experience. He says, Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil, so that I take part in wicked deeds, along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. Uh, and then there's a little reflection on that psalm. And the author of this reflection says, We are bombarded by images coming at us from all directions and calling out, fix your eyes here and here and here. Outward distractions join with our proclivity to let our minds wander and make it difficult for us to focus on anything. 
Our minds naturally buzz about looking to be distracted, but David has learned in the midst of life's distractions that his security comes from fixing his eyes on his sovereign Lord and letting God become the exclamation point at the center of his life. Training our thoughts to stay fixed on Jesus through using the Psalms and prayers and scriptures and worship will push away the uncertainties, the questions of life to the periphery where they belong. I think Jesus wants the disciples to get this, right? He wants them to get um, that the, the goal of, of His disciples is not to look right or even act right. Um, it's to think right, and, and not even to not think wrong, but to think right, to focus their thoughts and their eyes and their minds on the things that are of the kingdom of God. And so again and again in Scripture, Jesus says, uh, when you are distracted, even in your heart from me and from my kingdom, then don't let that distraction in your heart linger. Change it now. He says, um, my goal is that you don't commit adultery. It's that you don't view people of the opposite sex as, image, as images to be desired, but as images of God. And every time your heart moves in that direction, call it back and say, no, he or she is made to look like Jesus to me. The goal isn't that we don't commit murder, um, but that when we experience anger at each other, we take it upon ourselves to act immediately towards restoration, to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For from our good treasure, we bring good things. From good trees comes good fruit. From transformed hearts, the world experiences our Christ-like behavior. But the tree and the treasure and the heart have to come first. There are Christians, maybe like my friend the cussing pastor, who are um, wildly advanced in their spiritual lives, but don't appear so in their earthly behavior. And the opposite is true. There are Christians whose lives from the outside seem totally together, who have no love of Christ in their hearts. This is the distinction that Jesus makes again and again in Scripture. It's the difference between being a disciple and being a Pharisee, the difference between heart transformation and behavior management. Which gospel will you follow today? Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are reminded today of the awesome gift of Your love and Your life that calls us into a new ordering of our world and our hearts in Your image. And we pray that today, as we come before You, we would give up on trying to look perfect. We pray we would give up on trying to manage the behavior of ourselves and others. And we pray, Lord, that our only desire would be that our hearts and our minds would be inclined to Your heart and our wills inclined to Your will. We pray, Lord, that we would be a people um, who are focused on um, ordering our lives in Your love. And we pray that we would be a family that welcomes in those um, who perhaps don't immediately seem to fit because what defines fit for us is not 
how we act or look, um, but that we are loved by the God who gave up everything for us. Jesus, we love you. and We pray today that you would give us the privilege of heart change. In your name, amen.